0: Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the board of directors of NILA, Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights.
1: And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer the Employment Law Podcast presented by Neela Illinois. We are your hosts. I am Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. Welcome, Amit.
0: Welcome. Welcome back.
1: Thank you. So we're going to do a sports episode today. We're going to follow up on some topics we covered over the last year because we actually have some updates. Now, the updates happened already and I have just been busy and a little pokey to... uh, to get to them, but we figured it was a good time. So we're going to start with basketball and then we're going to do a little football. So starting with basketball, we're going to go back to the Phoenix Suns story. So to refresh everybody's memory, and I, if you haven't already, I encourage you to go listen to the back catalog and our Phoenix Suns episode, which ran sometime last year, I think.
0: Yeah, like 14 months ago, maybe?
1: Sure. Why not? And to, to, to circle up, that episode talked about Primarily a Baxter Holmes article by ESPN, he's an ESPN writer, that was a really exhaustive investigation into the toxic and hostile work environment that the then owner of the Phoenix Suns, Robert Sarver, majority owner Robert Sarver, had created, both on the basis of sex and race for many, many people, mostly people of color and women in the office. But he had victimized some men with what we would call more bullying type behavior. Actually, it could have been sex harassment at times.
0: Yeah, bullying, sex, harassment, and then also just straight up racism.
1: Yeah, well, that, yeah, goes without saying. Okay, so just to kind of circle up on the timeline, because here's the update. He's been forced to sell the team. I mean, he's at least caved to pressure. I don't know that he was forced, but I'm sure there was some leaning going on.
0: I'm sure it helped that the number was about $4 billion, too.
1: Yes, that would help a lot of things. Yes. Okay, (laughs) so here we go. Um... In 2021, we're going to start with the timeline just to kind of get people back up to speed just because I suspect not everybody follows. So on November 4th of 2021, ESPN the, released that aforementioned story detailing the allegations of a racist and misogynistic work culture created by Suns Majority Owner Robert Sarber claiming it created a toxic and hostile work environment over the 17 years that he had been there. There were, I would encourage people to go back and check it out because it the employment lawyers, it really does touch on a lot of what we all do for a living. And it's interesting for me, at least to see it viewed from a sports layperson perspective. It's like, oh, yeah, we know what that's like. In any event, he denied it about a day later, about four days later. We didn't cover this on our last show. His wife allegedly sent messages through, message through her phone and Instagram to former employees, arguably intimidating or threatening them. Of course. Uh, yeah, as one does. Yeah, as yeah, yeah. one does. Uh, all right. So in March of last year, there started to be some public pressure. Reverend Al Sharpton, for example, called on the NBA to end their investigation because the NBA did start to investigate it after. And that does factor
0: in. I was going to say at some point they had hired Wattel Lipton to do the workplace investigation into the allegations. I don't know if that was last spring, but I know that report was finalized kind of towards the end of the summer.
1: Right. So... And then there started to be some public pressure. Some minority owners, I know, started calling on some pressure or putting on some public pressure on the league and on Sarver to make a change. Eventually, in, I think, August or September, the Suns, the report on the Suns was released by the NBA. So they did their own investigation. It was sort of the kind of language was used that we see in internal investigations when something sexist or racist or an environment of that nature happens where the report says, you know, there are these things that happen, but they don't want to put on paper there was a hostile work environment because, well, then you would just be putting a confession on paper, I assume. So the league suspends him $10 million and suspends him for the year. But as we've talked about on these sports episodes, finding the owner of a professional sports franchise that kind of money doesn't really affect them.
0: No. I, I... For a simple example here is I believe the sale was north of $4 billion. So $10 million is, you know, for him, not that big of a deal. It was a rounding error for Robert Sarver. The bigger issue, I think, for him was a one-year suspension. I think he was upset about that. And, I mean, to some degree, that's it's a kind of weird conversation to have. But the psychology for someone at that level is it is a big deal for him not to be able to be associated with the team because all of his billion-dollar friends have something like that. And so I think that was a big deal. But I think the more interesting piece about this too is what the other owners wanted to do. I mean, presumably, and I, I haven't seen, I'm assuming you haven't either, Max, there's some sort of like contract amongst all the owners about how to push out an owner. Maybe there's some sort of language about needing cause, but the owners are all gonna have to decide about that. And so they probably wanna be very cautious about how to define cause because they all have skeletons.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Cause like the times I, I I'm, I I was a big baseball fan growing up and I know a little bit of history about it. And like the times that Major League Baseball, which is a notoriously, I mean, listen, these people are all like the wealthiest people in the country or world. Like it's by its definition going to be a country club and a boys club. But setting that part aside, even amongst that group of the financial elite, so to speak, these ownership groups tend to be very tight knit. And in baseball, it was always a very conservative bunch and the kinds of things they would do to push people out or the kinds of people that got pushed out, it was not for this sort of conduct. It was people that didn't fit their mold for what they wanted an owner, guys like Bill Vec, who made a mockery of it to them. I mean, I think it was just making it more accessible to people and less less owner friendly and they didn't like that. This sort of thing, they're not inclined to make an issue of this because they've all got their own issues, as you said, but they don't want the publicity, right? Donald Sterling, they wanted him out. Nobody ever liked the guy and everybody agreed he was a problem. But that guy had a history of some of the most racist, like, real estate and rental practices you'll find anywhere. Nobody cared about that. It was only when the tapes came out that it started to be an issue. None of that was new information that he was a racist. What was new was that it was starting to shed a negative light on all of them.
0: Exactly. And in that circumstance, there was another sale. So I think what happens or what will happen in these situations is – I don't think they're going to force the owner out publicly and we'll talk about this too in the commander situation it will be more of a finding an investor to get them to sell the team behind the scenes and the former owner in this case robert sarver still gets a huge payday so some sort of compromise but they want to be careful i think because if they start saying anything is cause then where are they going to be drawing the line
1: yeah and i mean You know, remember, Sterling had been offered deals like this, too, with the Clippers over the years. He just liked having a basketball team that he owned. And I'm, yeah, whatever other uncomfortable element that that gives to this, too. Like, it's about the prestige for these people.
0: Yeah, there are 30 teams. And so if you're one of those 30 that puts you in a different status group, and he owned a team in LA, Donald Sterling did. So I'm sure that made him very popular in a very major city. So there's a lot of other factors that go into it. There's a lot of for, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your politics, billionaires, but there are not that many people who own a basketball team.
1: Right. And, uh, you know, and I think, I think we even said, like, if any punishment ever comes to this guy, he's not going to feel it because it's either going to be a slap on the wrist fine, or he sells the team and makes billions of dollars for selling the team. So you know, the league was happy to give him that slap on the wrist and, and suspension. It was only because you know, Le- LeBron James, the best player in the league, right, came out immediately and was like, yeah, that's not okay. And, and there was all this public outcry that, you know, Sarper probably figured he wasn't going to make it
0: through. Yeah. And I mean, the NBA did hire an outside firm to do an investigation and that did lead, it is a slap on the wrist, but still one year and $10 million. And eventually forced this guy out of, I'm going to use the NBA as a broader term of business or comp- or the company. So I guess it ended up where they wanted, but it's still probably not the right form of quote unquote justice that most people would want to see in the circumstance.
1: It, it kind of thinks, I guess, the only other analog we ever see in our line of work, right, is if there's, think of like a really egregious Me Too situation where a CEO gets forced out of the company or something like that. And maybe if you're lucky, you are able to get the company to get rid of some of the underlings who contributed and reported to it and tolerated it as well. But chances are they may get golden parachutes unless there's, you know, a desire to enforce a for cause, right? So.
0: Yeah. And even if they don't, they're probably still okay for a whole host of other reasons. So that's an unfortunate aspect of a lot of this is it's just really hard at that level to really do, you know, the, the impact that, per, like the impact Robert Server had on those employees, there is no way to reverse that onto him.
1: Yeah. And you think about what's happened to players. So like there is a perception largely correctly but not always that professional athletes are overpaid and they get all this money and like they do and they do and I everybody makes too much in sports I get it it is what it is but it's it's what we have I'm not condoning it I just but But I think about the players who have taken stands at various points in a lot of these leagues, a guy like Kurt Flood, who's sued to get his free agency, a guy like Michael Sam, who comes out right before the draft is gay and goes undrafted, or he gets a seventh round draft and never really hooks on. I think it was Jason Collins in the NBA or Jaron Collins, I forget, who came out. And I don't know that he ever landed anywhere again. And then Colin Kaepernick, obviously, most famously for taking and didn't get jobs again in the league and lost out on that income. And maybe some of them are okay and they did all right. But like they stand up for themselves or they they take a civil rights stand they'll never play again kurt flood got to play again but he was never the same yeah we talked about this an awful thing and they have a windfall
0: yeah we talked about this a little bit in our baseball episode a couple months ago too about and i do think the perception of this has changed a little bit but you know when you have these standoffs between players and owners the old perception used to just be well it's millionaires fighting amongst other people who are rich and I think people recognize now there's a difference between millionaires and billionaires. And that's usually what these bubbles are about. And at the lower level, especially in baseball, you have a lot of folks who aren't millionaires yet. They're not making that much money. They are living a lot more paycheck to paycheck. It is a difficult life. And so, and there are financial consequences at that level, even to Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, maybe he's still okay, but he probably still lost out on a lot of generational wealth.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the difference, right? These contracts can be voided with players for cause or for various reasons. Michael Vick did a bad thing. I'm an animal lover. I have a dog lover. I don't think what he did was okay. Dude lost that on $100 million. Like he suffered and did time. Not okay what he did, but he suffered comeuppance for it. Robert Sarver did this thing to all these people. He's going to make $4 billion out of it. He's losing his team, but he's making a lot of money.
0: But that's the choice the other owners made because they also have self-interest to protect themselves.
1: Correct. Well, they know what they've done. So, yeah, not saying they've all done this. I'm just saying, anyway.
0: Right. No, I know. Well, that's a good segue, actually, to switch to football because there's a lot of the same stuff happening there. So we we'll talk about John Gruden, the the Washington Commanders, and the Brian Flores lawsuit. I'll we'll start with Gruden, where we had an episode about probably 15 months ago or so. He used to be the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders who used to be the Oakland Raiders. And prior to that, he was on TV. And prior to that, he was a coach. And so about a year and a half ago, a bunch of emails had leaked. It was unclear from where, but he suspected it was the NFL that made him look, that put him in a false light or made him look pretty bad. And so he had filed a lawsuit alleging towards interference. And I believe something else, but I'm not remembering the exact claims, but pseudo employment law claims. And he filed that against the NFL. He actually had settled with the Las Vegas Raiders. So his contract there had resolved, he had signed an employment contract with them, signed a settlement agreement with them, and then filed his lawsuit. And that actually is pretty material here. So. This all comes to a head because there has been ongoing litigation now with the NFL for the last year, and what ended up happening was the NFL filed a two-part motion to dismiss. One was to compel arbitration, and a second part was to just dismiss the lawsuit outright. And the judge denied those motions. And the arbitration motion, I find kind of interesting, and we've talked about arbitration a little bit recently too. But the the judge, in terms of the arbitration component of the decision, denied the request a because she believed that the judge believed that the arbitration clause was outside the scope of this lawsuit. The emails at issue are emails he had sent prior to his employment with the Las Vegas Raiders. At that point, he was not in the NFL, he was on ESPN. And so that was part of the, the rationale. Part of the thought process too was because he signed a settlement agreement, which superseded the employment agreement and had a different dispute resolution clause, then the arbitration no longer mattered too, which I think is an interesting wrinkle. And then ultimately decided there was both procedural and substantive unconscionability. And the primary reason here is that Roger Goodell is essentially a primary witness in all this. And also, if the motion to compel was granted, would be the arbitrator, because that is how the NFL constitution, and as I think what they call it, is written and drafted. And it would require him to arbitrate his claims about Roger Goodell in front of Roger Goodell. So
1: it's funny because unconscionability is such a so uncommonly one argument. It is your Hail, Mary argument of like, I, all I've got is this contract sucks and is so unfair, either procedurally or on its, you know, based on what it contains that you cannot possibly enforce it. And it there's a reason it's your last resort, right? Because courts tend not to agree with you on that point. But this is ridiculous. I know.
0: I mean, the judge was pretty polite about it, but, the, the statement from the transcript is, quote, I'm concerned with the commissioner having the sole power to determine any employee dispute. I do find that the enforcement of the arbitration would be unconscionable, both procedurally as well as substantive, and the arbitration provision does not cover former employees. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot. It's also an interesting situation because it touches upon a lot of the stuff we do, but it also touches upon just like contract law. And here you have a situation of facts that have occurred prior to entering into the employment agreement And then you have a subsequent settlement agreement with clauses that supersede the employment agreement. So there's a whole host of different things kind of converging at the same time, but at a very basic level, yeah. I don't think the commissioner should be able to have sole power to determine all employee disputes.
1: Well, it's like, yeah. I I don't even know what analogy I'm going to draw. It's just ridiculous. Nowhere else in law would you see that. Oh, actually, I take it back. I'm going to go back to the old days of our show. One of the early episodes Mark Dubofsky did on some of his ERISA. Oh, yeah. He talked about that district courts can remand the case back to the insurance company to review their own ridiculous decision. I mean, that I have to tell you, that doesn't feel that different here.
0: No, I agree with you on that. The other thing that's I was t- t- Max and I, you were talking about this prior to us recording. The attorneys on this case are very good attorneys too. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot more litigation to go because if this motion to compel is denied, it means they get into discovery, etc. I'm not sure the NFL really wants to get into that. So they are already appealing the decision. Now they tried to stay the state court matter. I believe the Nevada State Supreme Court denied that stay so they're kind of on two tracks but yeah i mean they're going to appeal and it matters too not just for this lawsuit but all of their other lawsuits as well
1: yeah i don't I don't really know who thought that was going to be a good idea to write that into the uh, dispute resolution process that's
0: especially in this context i mean in this context it's a little bit different too because the commissioner is going to be pretty relevant and so it makes it i think generally it doesn't make as much sense but it definitely does not make much sense here
1: I could see a commissioner trying to do that with players. I don't agree with it, but like, I could see them being like, I get to, I mean, that was his reputation early on, right? Like when he took over for Paul Taglia, but like my memory of him as a high schooler, sort of observing him at a distance was this guy's not messing around. He suspends people for like everything. Like he was very heavy handed early on.
0: Well, and it, it goes back to what we were talking about with the NFL or the NBA too. Sorry. Where it's the owner has decided to do this. Because they wanted the commissioner, who is really an agent of the owners, to have final say in all these issues.
1: Right. Like it just, yeah. Just, yeah. No, I mean, and that is interesting. I suspect at a distance that's the kind of decision that leads to a quick settlement in a case like this. Like if you know Goodell is compromised and could potentially face some exposure they just really don't want this becoming a matter of public record this is the kind of case where once you lose this procedural issue it it goes away quick
0: i think that's probably right i also would be worried about having a nevada supreme court decision on this now maybe it doesn't matter too much because you're not going to have too many cases there so the presidential value maybe isn't that important but simultaneously with this lawsuit there is the class action going on too by coaches about the NFL's hiring practices, and there's a motion to compel pending in that matter right now. And so, you know, it's in a different jurisdiction. It's in the district courts of New York as opposed to a state court in Nevada. So who knows how much weight is given to, this, to those decisions. But that would be another reason why I would want to be cautious. That's a nice segue, Ahmed. Yeah. Yeah. That's into Brian Flores' lawsuit. So we talked, that I think was filed about a year ago. It was filed, I want to say, Super Bowl weekend or right before Super Bowl weekend, when it was able to t- dominate all the news coverage. He had filed a lawsuit based upon the NFL not having enough minority representation at the head coaching and general manager and ownership status tiers of the NFL. I think it's a class action on behalf of several coaching candidates. Not too much has happened in that case. I think the main thing right now is that there is a motion to arbitrate pending. I believe it's been fully briefed and they're just waiting a decision, but I'm not positive about that. But I suspect we'll get something like that pretty soon. And that I think, I mean, that one's a little bit more different than the Gruden situation because the commissioner is not making necessarily those coach hiring decisions. But at the same time, It has a lot of the same uneasiness to it. And so it'll be interesting to see how another court evaluates the NFL's dispute resolution clause.
1: Yes, it will. That's it will. I mean, I still think that's a tough lawsuit to win, not because I don't think the hiring practices are racist. I think I think they're very racist. I think, you know, you see a lot of performative art in it, right? Like whenever coaches are being interviewed, I remember this was one of the things that came up last time around was like NFL teams were very busy tweeting out when they'd had these long day long interviews with black coaches, and then immediately hiring black yeah. guy like within a week. So it was like this, it almost feels like in the deposition when they present your client with the like EEO statistics for the large company of, look how many minorities we have working here. Look at how many women have manager title. It's like, great, that doesn't change what you did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in thinking back to, you know, after the lawsuit was filed, and I don't remember if this was before or after we talked about it, a couple other coaches have signed on to it as well, so it's no longer just as a plaintiff. There are at least two more yeah. uh, coaches. But the the circumstances are also different. Like like one of the coaches was somebody who was fired after one season, right? Like he did not necessarily get the same duration of time maybe to, to get the team turned around versus the hiring practices that Brian Flores is talking about but those are, I don't know, they're the same. And yet to me, they're also very different situations. And I think proving a class, getting getting class certification on, on hiring practices where they may fall on different ends of the spectrum, I feel like could be
0: challenging. I think so too. I think there's going to be another, there's going to be a bunch of procedural issues in terms of getting a class like that certified, even if they get past the motion and compel arbitration stage, there's a lot of discovery problems. So it is a, difficult loss. And now at the same time, the NFL probably doesn't want to get into that discovery either.
1: Well, the, I mean, on, on paper, though, like it's really in a class case like that where the statistics do become your friend on the plaintiff side, right? Yep. Because, it, you know, in a single plaintiff situation, you can use the stats, but I think it's tougher. I, I'm, I'm trying to be like a, a clip show of our of our past episodes today. But one of our very, very early episodes, Catherine Simmons Gill's episode where she talked about the the Vega versus Park District case. About how there were the, sti- the statistics for the Park District and the Hispanic case were, and how there really weren't many in positions of authority. So, in a single plaintiff case, sometimes it matters. But in a case like this, the statistics, I think, would be plaintiff friendly, right? Like, there just objectively are not many black coaches in the league, there, yeah. are not, there just have never been.
0: We talked about this too I think when we did when we discussed the lawsuit initially the way they plotted and drafted the complaint was super persuasive because they they just put the faces of all the coaches in the the, the complaint and so you look through it and then you just see a sea of white for coaches general managers owners and I thought that was pretty powerful
1: And that's just now. Like, that doesn't even talk about how many years that's been the case for forever, you know? I don't, like, I think of, uh, and this is going to college, but so Deion Sanders just got hired.
0: Yeah. Colorado. Colorado. Is it? Okay. Is it University of Colorado?
1: Yeah. It's University of Colorado. No, he's a Boulder man. Okay. And he came from an HBCU, Jackson, I think it was Jackson
0: State. Yeah.
1: But what's wild, I mean, a lot of it is wild about Deion and about this job. And
0: I love Deion. He's he's one of my, he's probably my second favorite athlete of all time. Third, I guess now.
1: Were you one of those kids growing up who didn't root for a team? You just followed your favorite player? Like
0: No, I followed, so my teams have always been the Packers and the Bucks. They were like, you know, one, two. But I love Deion. Jordan, obviously. Like, I have a Jordan poster in my office. And then Giannis now is definitely on that list. But that's the one, two, three. And four, actually, is Charles Woodson.
1: I, I support that. Michigan
0: one. shout out. Yeah.
1: Thank you. But oh man, I lost my train of thought there.
0: We're talking about Deion and Jackson State. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So Colorado has now hired three consecutive black head coaches and that's wild. Like not that it shouldn't be a big deal. Right. But great. But I, I don't know of that ever happening anywhere, like in a row. I It just, yeah uh, anyway, so I, I, I guess there's progress in some places, but I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful this lawsuit goes somewhere. I'd like to see what the discovery can bear out.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that's another good segue to talk about, then, the Washington Commanders. So history on the name, I don't know exactly when it changed officially. So a couple years ago, they were Washington, but with a name that a lot of folks found offensive. So then they just became the Washington football team.
1: I kind of like that just from like... A- I did too. You guys don't get to have a name anymore after yeah you had your
0: name be for so many years. Also, I think I actually kind of like football team as an a but whatever. And then they became the Washington Commanders. I know before this season, I don't know if officially when that happened, but anyway, they're the Washington Commanders now. And this kind of ties in to both the Gruden story and the Flores story because, and also the Sun story. There's now a congressional inquiry into kind of the work environment within the Washington football team over the last 10 to 15 years. Initially about, I wanna say a year and a half, two years ago, the NFL had conducted an investigation That investigation, a lot of people criticized heavily because it didn't lead to anything. And so Congress got involved again. There's actually also separately, the US attorney in the Eastern District of, of Virginia is looking into financial improprieties. And this actually was linked to the Gruden story because I think some of the emails that got leaked were because of the investigation into the Washington commanders. And so this is all intertwined, but this is another situation in which there's been a lot of very strong allegations of decades of sexual misconduct a hostile work environment and you have an owner who a lot of people don't want to be there but the other nfl owners haven't pushed out yet and it's unclear if they will
1: yeah the nfl owners are not not a I, the nba owners i think on balance look pretty great comparatively to this bunch because you know Guys like Jerry Jones are in there who opposed desegregation in Arkansas back in the day. He's in one of those he's in the background of one of those famous pictures of uh, of African-American black students trying to break through this line of white students to just get to school. He's back there yelling like not on the right side of it. So I I don't know that (laughs) I don't know that they're all in a rush to get rid of a guy like that, because once again, what is going to blow back on them for it?
0: Right. And so Dan Snyder, I don't think wants to sell. And I don't know what the age differential is between him and Sarver, but he's relatively young still. And I think his thought was to be able to keep this as a, you know, a lot of times these are family owned companies or businesses that get passed around. I think that's been kind of his thought process as well. So even though he could catch a pretty good check for selling the commanders, I really don't think he wants to. And it will be interesting to see how the combination of a congressional inquiry action by the U.S. attorney, et cetera, will influence the other owners to kind of push them out from behind the scenes, kind of what was happened with both Sterling and with Sarber.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing too is like, do those things go away if you sell? Because if they don't, like-
0: it's sort of They like, probably if, don't, yeah.
1: Well, it's sort of like with whistleblowing, right? Like if, if an employer has an incentive to pay a whistleblower to go away as their lawyer, great, good for you, unless you really wanna blow the lid off of something and take it all the way, but if buying your client off doesn't do anything for them, what incentive is there to pay them to go away if they're still screwed, no matter what happens, or their problem is like, there are too many holes in the dam. You can only plug it with so many fingers. You know, it, it doesn't yep. necessarily help you to sell. So maybe he figures he can write it out. He's got all the money in the world and the consequences can't be that bad for a guy like that.
0: No, I think that's all probably right. So with all these stories, there's a lot happening, but there's a lot still to happen. And they're all, for the most part, interrelated. The Sun story is probably the one that I assume will not resurface. But Gruden, the Commanders, and Dan Snyder, and then Brian Flores are all going to stay in the news, at least for the short term.
1: I think so. All right, well, with that, I think we've about I think we've about squeezed as much juice out of this turnip as we can. I'll use it directly yeah. this time.
0: <laughs> I think that's probably right. All right, do you want me to go first on the shout out of the week? I know you like putting me on the spot. I have a good one, too. Then yes, I do. All i right, right. We're doing sports. You're wearing your Michigan stuff. So I feel like I have to shout out TCU. I also wish this was recorded. We had the video for this. Your face there was awesome. Them's fighting words, Vindra. That was a fun game.
1: I was going to shout out my daughter, but now I have to shout something else out. I'm going to shout out Alabama for not making the playoff this year.
0: So do you think we end up higher than Michigan in the final standings?
1: It doesn't matter. None of us won.
0: Well, that's true. But, you know, there's a ranking. Well, they did. We
1: should have been in the playoffs. did lose twice this year on it. So, you know. So did Michigan.
0: No. Didn't you lose? Oh, you only lost to TCU. Okay. We crushed our Kent State game. I'm really proud of you. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying, like. <laughs> it was Kansas State, dude whatever it doesn't matter when you're an Alabama fan so I don't know you know it's like some geometry equation right like we beat Kansas State they beat TCU TCU beat Michigan so we basically beat Michigan
1: so I think by that transitive property Tulane is the national title in the national title game because Tulane beat Kansas State I'm okay with that all right well everybody got to listen to that that
0: uh yeah well Well, I'm just
1: gonna shout out my two-year-old for transitioning to a big girl bed but you know now it's got to be something petulant like this
0: (laughs) I'll also, I mean, I feel like I have to shout out Ukraine too. So I'll do that as well.
1: Always. All right. Well, on that note, thank you to everybody at home for suffering through that and sticking with us. To those of you who made it to the end, please subscribe and share.
0: Our podcast is intended to provide general reviews of employment laws. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that. The host's opinion. We're not your attorney. This podcast is not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.